tangent, to break off suddenly from a line or train of thought and pursue another course. Webster's. Welcome to episode number eight of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. This is by far the greatest podcast ever to be produced on the internet that talks about the comics that appeared in the DC Comics Tangent line. Ever. Ever. I'm not hedging my bets on that at all. (laughs) And this time out, we're continuing our look at the books from the first run of the series with the very first superhero team-up book of the Tangent line, Secret Six. Yes, with a vast array of heroes occupying this universe, it was only a matter of time before they had to be brought together to collectively fight a threat on a global scale. And our string of amazing talent continues in these books as Secret Six is written by none other than Chuck Dixon and drawn by Tom Grummet. Awesome. So the only way it could have been better if it had a name like Smuckers. You see, because with a name like Smuckers, it has to be. Oh, you you get the (laughs) picture. Anyhow, we're going to get into our coverage of this book. And, of course, when I say we, I mean myself, Sean Ingle, and my esteemed co-host, Mr. Michael Bradley. Hello. How's it going, Michael? It's good to get back with you again. And, you know, after this, after the last issue of Nightwing, the sort of dark foreboding issue, this Mm -hmm. This is a lot more fun, colorful, yes. and upbeat. But uh, I will admit, and I'll probably, you know, I've got something that I that just hit me when I was rereading this. Something that might uh, turn it just a little dark for just a moment. But I think overall, this is going to be a really fun issue, and I'm looking forward to it. Chuck Dixon. Uh, I don't think I've ever read anything by Chuck Dixon which I just haven't loved. So I'm, I, I'm looking forward to this one. Yes, it's it's a really fun. Issue. I mean, it, it's a team book like the last one, but it's a very different approach to the team book concept. Yeah, it's it is it's more of the Fantastic Four Avengers. Yes. While while the last one was more of a you know a, a books of magic. Uh, I guess if you'd go Justice League Dark type thing. So it's they're they're two different stories, uh, two different team dynamics, but uh, they're both really good. So I'm looking forward to getting into this. Yep. But before we do that, we have to talk about our listeners. Oh, that is true. Let me. Okay. Yes, we have some email. The first one here we got is from Matthew Epps. He is the host of uh, the Armored Hero of Steel, a John Henry Irons podcast, which covers all the uh, all the stories uh, dealing with Steel, the uh, Armored Hero that spun out of the uh, Death and Return of Superman storyline. Uh, he writes in, and I'm going to try and do this in a. Uh, in a uh, Australian accent, so <clears throat> forgive me. 
Dear Michael and Sean, G'day. I'm thrilled to see that someone is doing a Tangent Universe podcast. I'm even more thrilled to see that it's both of you putting it out. Being both a fan of being a fan of both Superman and Kyle Rayner, I love what you've done with your other podcast and I'm and now to bring that magic to the tangent line is fantastic. So sorry. I've got to finish it, though. I'm looking forward to hearing what you both have to say about the Secret Six book, since it is one of my all-time favorite comics, and I'm spelling favorite with a U. Keep up the great work. Loyal fan of the show, Matthew Epps. Matthew, I completely apologize for butchering the wonderful Australian dialect. Um, Please don't drop the podcast we appreciate you writing in and we appreciate you this I, i'm like well, i said well, two, I'm two episodes ago sean alienated the uh <laughs> the uh, long john silver's contingent and, and yes. now we've alienated an entire continent well you know that's that's what i do i guess sadly <laughs> yeah right. I, are you gonna read the ps oh let me get down there ps where he says that's not a knife that's a knife <laughs> I must have missed that. That may, may not have gotten <laughs> forwards to me. <laughs> but Matthew, thank you for writing in, and thank you for dealing with my horrible, horrible accent. I, I it's great to get letters from people outside of the United States. You know, uh, unfortunately, podcasters in the United States sometimes don't realize that these things go out all over the world. And hearing that we've got I, listeners, I think that's a problem with America in general. We don't realize yeah. that there's more than America. <laughs> No, that's that is. I will agree with that. that is the unfortunate thing. We kind of are very uh, America centric, and when we get uh, emails from people outside of the continental United States, we're like, "Oh, there's other people that listen to us. Wow, that's amazing!" But we're really glad that you uh, wrote into us, Matthew. This is it's great, to, and I hope you enjoy our coverage of the uh, the issue today. Yes, if if you're not having if you're still turned, listening, we hope you enjoy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If I haven't completely turned you off from ever listening to any of our shows again, so yeah. it's interesting too that he would say that this is one of his favorite comics of all time, and I would really be interested in hearing more about what Matthew has to say about the issue. If you, oh to, yeah, if he's still listening and wants to write again. <laughs> but. Uh, well, I, I kind of ruined that, didn't I? Uh, but next up is an email from uh, frequent writer Gene Hendricks, and he write is he's writing in this time about the Flash issue. And he writes, Sean and Michael, wow, Tangent does Paris Hilton with superpowers. Yikes. I get that this is a humor book, and I'm definitely not the target audience, but it just sounded too much like current day reality to be more than scary, in my opinion. The tone shift makes sense after all the heavy stuff in the first three issues, but maybe it's just too much of a swing the other way. Yes, Nightwing is there, but it seems like even they aren't taking it seriously. Oh, she's a public figure now? Well, I guess we can't fake her death or even Amelia Earhart her. Let's just let her go for over a decade. Sorry, I don't buy it. But I'm cynical by nature, I suppose. Great job with showing the pros and cons of this kind of issue and the story itself. This might be one of the reasons I looked at the ad, along with the Power Girl image, and decided to skip the whole thing. Gene. Yeah, I can kind of see why, because, you know... Uh, similar to Gene, I looked at that image of the Power Girl thing and went, wow, that's really out there. Mm-hmm. Why would I be reading something like that? But, it, you know, it 
if it weren't for people like you, Michael, I I wouldn't have been reading stuff like this. And I, I'm glad that I have. So it's just one of those one of the cases where you can't judge a book by by its cover, I guess. But uh yeah, the the flash issue was definitely a departure from what we got in the first three issues and uh, not an unwelcomed one. It was different, but it wasn't bad. No, I think it was just for me. I think it was just the the level of the farce that they took it to. Kind of, it, it didn't quite line up with the other books we've looked at. But yeah, I can I can agree with that. It 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 didn't have the same sort of depth to it that you would expect with the that the other books had brought forth in their right stories. Right. And I, I'm interested though, and we'll be getting to it in a couple months, I guess. Uh, when we get to the the Power Girl issue, because I'm, I don't remember too much about that, but I'm interested to see what I think about it and what you think about it, and to see if the book itself turns you off as much as the ad did with the character on it. Yeah, I'd, like I said, I'd be more than willing. You know, well, obviously I'm more than willing because we're going to cover all this. <laughs> I, I'd be more than interested to find out, you know, whether the initial look of the design uh, was just a sort of turn off for me and whether or not the book because I'm thinking uh, wasn't the book written by Ron Mars I can't remember yes. who and yes. you know as you know I'm I'm a big fan of Ron Mars's writing so I the, it might just have been me being sort of prejudiced by my sort of my my not being appealed by the anime style so there you go oh gosh and I just looked at the order of books and that is going to be not the very last issue, but the next to last issue from the uh, the ninety eight wave. So that's that's a way we've got a ways away. Yeah, so it'll be a ways away. So we'll, we'll we'll be able to temper it with some some other good stuff. I know we've got the <laughs> Batman one, uh, and we've got Superman, Superman as well. So I'm looking forward to that stuff. So you know, if if it's at the very end and then it's not enjoyable, we can just chalk it up to well, there's always a bad egg in every group. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, do you want me to go ahead and read uh, the next email? Yeah. Okay. We've got another one from Gene Hendricks and this one is on the uh, sea devils issue and he writes in gents. That story sounded rather odd, at least from what I've seen before. Uh, definitely a Kirby S story. And I don't know how well that fits into the universe as we've seen it up to now. While I don't think the flash was the right tone. I still wasn't its target audience. This one sounds like it belonged out on its own, much like the fourth world, more than interacting with the same world that the Atom and Metal Man were in. It could be a tone thing, but I found myself saying, wait, what was that? And more than that sounds cool, like I have in previous episodes. I really need to get these and read them for myself, but it sounds like the quality is going down. Hopefully the Joker brings the level back up. Uh... You know, I don't think the quality necessarily went down. It was just that the story, you know, when you've got such high points as the Adam and Metal Men, yeah. it's really hard to keep up that level of quality. I mean, it's not that they are bad in any way, shape, or form. It was just that they weren't quite as good as those issues. So right. that's what I'd probably have to say about them. Yeah, we started off the show with a very, very high bar with those first two issues. And not that. The only direction we could go was down, but you know, at, at some point it was going to drop in quality. So, and it's it, the, like I said, it's not 
bad. It's just not quite as good. It's, it's. I guess in a way, if you could equate it to the uh, Marvel Comics movies, looking at say you know Avengers as being one of the top movies, and Captain America, uh, in my opinion, being the next couple of uh, tier of movies, then you get down to movies like the uh, the Thor, uh, Dark World, Incredible Hulk. They're not as good but they're still incredibly enjoyable. Right. So that's, I think the kind of way that we could look at, you know, the sea devils and, uh, the, uh, Joker book, the sea devils book and the, uh, flash book. Right. Or when you're a, a singer and your first song is called Friday, you know, <laughs> you can only, you, you, you can't top that. So. No, there's no way that you can top a wonderful song like Friday. We're just going to leave that sitting out there. Anyway, Jane finishes up with, uh, it's a shame that you lost the lucrative Long John Silver sponsorship. <sighs> yes. not, only the, not only that and uh, you know all of our Australian listeners, but I think Sean made up for that by referencing MSD3K. Everything's better with Joel and the bots. And I can point with that. Well, thanks, Gene, for writing in. If you don't know Gene, he's doing podcast over at the Two True Freaks website, along with some of the podcasts I do. He does one called the Hammer Strikes podcast. He also does the Quantum Cast, which is about the Marvel Comics character Quasar. Plus, he's also doing a series of shows called Legends of the Superheroes, which uh, focuses in on TV versions of superhero shows. And just as of recently, he did a show involving the Incredible Hulk TV show, which was a bunch of fun. Yes, and he he also had one talking about the Batman, uh, the sixty six Batman series and Swamp Thing. I think it was. I think he did the Swamp Thing movie with uh, Rob Kelly as well. So. Okay, there you go. Uh, but thank you again, Gene, for both your emails. And we've got one more to read this time out, and this is from John Godwin, who I don't believe we've heard from before. Uh, but he writes, "Hey guys, I've been enjoying the podcast so far." I'm listening to episode 4 as I'm writing this, and I started listening yesterday. I heard about you guys through Shag Matthews of Firewater Podcast fame. Well, thank you again, Shag, for spreading the word. I'm a big fan of Tangent ever since a guy working at my LCS turned me on to them. I even thought about doing my own podcast about these comics a few times over the years. I just didn't think I would have enough to say. Kudos to you guys for being able to do around an hour per issue. The main purpose of my writing in is so that you guys don't miss the tie-in comics between the two waves of Tangent Comics. These two take place between the two waves, Ion number 9 and 10, and Justice League number 16. These are important to the survival of the Tangent Universe during Infinite Crisis. These take place during, or these take place after the Superman series, Countdown Arena numbers 1 through 4, and Justice League of America numbers 50 through 53. These are more of appearances of the characters more than important to the Tangent world itself. These are still significant appearances of the characters, though. There were a couple of other minor appearances with the Tangent characters as background, but nothing with even a single panel of dialogue. Thanks, guys. I'll be leaving an iTunes review soon. John Godwin. Well, cool. I, I'm, I'm glad to hear that the, uh, the characters of the Tangent universe got a bit more play than just these books. It's nice to know that they... Uh, at least had some, you know, some lasting presence in the main DC titles. We haven't really discussed after we finish these first two series of books what we're going to be doing. 
you know, we might be covering the Superman's reign. And if we do, we might sort of do what they do on the, uh, um, not the fire and water, but the fantastic cast and sort of take looks. If these, uh, characters appear in these books, Mm -hmm. um, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. Yeah, I think we'll touch on them at some. You know, if we do decide to cover the Superman's Reign series, we'll probably touch on those other issues somehow. Um, I replied to John when he sent this, and I told him at, at somewhere on my hard drive, I've got a list of what I think is every appearance of a tangent character, even just like a minor, you know, one-panel cameo. I've got that on a list somewhere, and if we do decide to cover that Superman's Reign series, I will make sure that. Uh, these get at least mentioned on the show somehow, even if we're not covering them in depth. Sounds good. Yeah, I think I think at least a cursory you know mention of them tell you know what happened in there. If you've got some idea of what's going on with that, would be great. Right. Uh, but that's it for emails. So thank you guys for all writing in. Yes, thank you very much. Uh, and again, sorry to all of our Australian listeners. I <laughs> promise not to do horrible accents ever again. Uh, we we will uh, decide. Between this episode and the next one, we'll decide which other continent we want to alienate. You know, I'm looking for Liechtenstein. Screw you, Liechtenstein. <laughs> they had it coming. <laughs> uh, but if you're ready, we'll go ahead and get into Secret Six number one. I am ready. Which has a cover date of December 1997 and was released on October 1st of that year. Our cover is by Tom Grummet and Larry Stucker. Very awesome. Mm-hmm. And the story is titled Bad Moon. And credits are, and I'm going to read these exactly as they're printed in the book because I know how much Sean loves credits that are written in this style. We yes. Have, <laughs> we have Secret Story, Chuck Dixon, Private Pencils, Tom Grummet, Clandestine Colors, James Sinclair, Labyrinthian Letters, Ken Lopez, Acquitted Assistant Editor, Frank Berrios, Assassinated Associate Editor, editor Dana Curtin, Enigmatic Editor, Eddie Berganza, Tangent, based on concepts by Dan Jurgens. Uh, for dirty Briganza. <laughs> Go on. On the coast of Baja, California, firestorm troopers investigate a strange incident that left a school of sea devils dead. They were trying to keep the incident quiet, but are being secretly filmed by a reporter broadcast the report on the evening news. In Beverly Hills, the Atom, the Flash, and a pair of other heroes attend a benefit for victims of the Florida disaster. The Atom sees the news report, and he and the Flash decide to investigate. Meanwhile, in Guatemala, a woman calling herself Manhunter attacks the home of a man who had worked in the lab that created the Red Tornado Bomb, which caused untold casualties and damage during the war in Czechoslovakia. The man begs for his life, ultimately giving the name and location of a Dr. Aquatus, the director of the group that created the bomb. With the information procured, the Manhunter leaves, allowing her robot dog Pooch to finish the job. Back in America, Taylor Pike, aka the intangible metahuman known as the Spectre, infiltrates a brand laboratory's facility in San Diego, but is trapped by Gunther Gans, a living polymer creature known as Plastic Man tells the Spectre that Nightwing wants to make him an offer he can't refuse. In New Atlantis, the Joker makes quick work of a gun-toting 90s image villain known as the Riddler, before returning <laughs> to her lair, seeing the news about the incident in Baja, and deciding to investigate herself. With our hero's introduction out of the way, 
we switch to the other side of the coin, deep within the Pacific Ocean, where Dr. Aquatus, revealed to be a being made of living seawater, rallies his troops, including Warlord, Gunner and Sarge, Damage, and the Eclipso Twins, preparing to put something called the Planet Gun into action. Our heroes soon arrive at Aquatus' underwater stronghold, and separately make their way inside. One by one, the heroes converge, and work together to defeat Aquatus' flunkies, with the Joker and Manhunter taking out Gunner and Sarge, and the Spectre and Plastic Man defeating Damage. After breaking into Aquatus' central command base, Plastic Man reveals he used to work for Aquatus. Both men were caught in a lab accident years after the creation of the Red Tornado and the Czech War and the accident left Aquatus as a water elemental and Gans as the living polymer he is today. Aquatus reveals not only has he captured the Atom in the Flash, but tells the gathered heroes his plan is to use the planet gun, which is powered by the Eclipsos, to destroy the moon, which will give him complete control over the world's seas and allow him to rule the world as Aquaman. Manhunter is able to free the Flash and the Atom, and the Flash is able to break the connection between the Eclipsos, thus halting the planet gun. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, doing so causes a backlash, which obliterates Aquatus when he is no longer able to hold his form. Afterwards, the collected heroes decide they worked pretty well together, and while they all have their reasons for needing to keep their alliance secret, they decide to band together to see what they can accomplish as the Secret Six. Another fun issue. Oh, yeah. It, it reminded me of the old school Silver Age team books where characters would just, you know, come together, have an adventure, and then decide they should do it more often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exactly what I felt. This had sort of the feel of like an early Avengers. In fact, you know, that's kind of what the early Avengers was. You know, the uh, <clears throat> various superheroes from the time all have to face one big bad and they all come together in the end decide that hey we work together as a team right. let's do it so i i really enjoyed it and then I, oh I, hey look there's captain america <laughs> yeah if if in issue four of this they find someone frozen the ice that'd be really <laughs> awesome <laughs> it'll, it'll be one of the metal men that that's where lobo that's where is. lobo is yeah. lobo's got frozen in the ice and they'll find him in issue four and they'll free him <laughs> brilliant um, but yeah, uh, initially I was kind of cold on this issue, which was kind of disappointing because I love Chuck Dixon, but getting to reread it again, like I said, with uh, previous issues, you have to reread these issues. You can't just read these ones and put them down. You've got to look over them again and again and rereading them again. I just found out, yeah, this is a lot of fun. Usually Chuck Dixon is uh, tied to more single character books. Mm-hmm. And I don't think he's really done a, a hero book. And I think this is kind of wish fulfillment for him to do sort of an Avengers type book. And he does an amazing job at it. Plus, it's got Tom Grumman on the art. And I don't think you can do much better 
than than having Tom Grummet in the art. We've had some spectacular yeah. people doing art on these issues. Uh, you know, from uh, Mike McCone and the Metal Man to Dan Jurgens and Adam J.H. Williams. I mean, just lots of lots of great artists. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm really impressed. And like with um, my mind just went blank. Chuck Dixon. I don't think Tom Grummet has really done too many team books. No, he's usually well, you know I, I usually I, I, I take that back. I guess he did because he did Power Company and he was on uh, there was a, t- a stretch of Titans and, and Thunderbolts for, for Marvel. So forget yeah, but, what I just said. Well, but you know, but uh, primarily you associate him with the Superman books. So yeah. you know, you kind of you know that's that's kind of what you think of with Dixon. You primarily associate him with the Batman books. I guess you could say that the Batman books do have a team aspect with them. You know, there's more than just the Batman character in them, but, uh, yeah, these, these big team ups with various different characters with various different motivations. Isn't something Dixon is known for doing. And I think he does an exemplary job here with it. Yes. But uh, if you are done with general notes, why don't we go ahead and take a little break here and we'll come back with uh, specific notes for the issue after the break. Works for me. All right. You like cheap comic books, right? Well, I'm Professor Allen, and I talk about cheap comic books on the Quarterbin Podcast. And every episode, I'll dissect a single comic from my collection, as long as I paid no more than 25 cents for the issue. Forget about $4 new comics that you can read in four minutes, or crossover events that can cost 100 bucks to collect. Join me in the quarter bin, where even bad comics are a bargain, and good ones are a steal. The Quarter Bin Podcast is part of the Relatively Geeky Podcast Network. Visit us at relativelygeekypodcast.blogspot.com, or search Relatively Geeky or Quarterbin Podcast and iTunes. I guarantee it'll be worth every penny. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dad. We need to record another new trailer. Another one? Yes. You know that we read comics and then talk about comics because, as we've established, talking about comics you've not read is just dumb. Yeah, and you make me do it every Thursday. Well, we've moved. Have we? Yes, we have outgrown our old location. I don't feel like I've moved. And we have now moved to twotruefreaks.com. What was that again? Twotruefreaks.com. A-Kids Comics, still every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com. And we're back. Well, let's go ahead and, uh, if you're ready, uh, you want to jump right into uh, coverage, hit with the cover. Yeah. I I like the cover. It's not my favorite, but it, it's a good shot of the team. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, unfortunately, the, the major heroes that we've seen before are kind of relegated to sort of background or off the side characters you know the 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 new characters in plastic man the specter and manhunter are front and center while we've got flash adam and the joker sort of uh back in the background and Mm -hmm. off to the side so but it's i was sorry i was actually kind of impressed by that because i figure the one you know the joker and the adam and the flash would be more popular so the tendency would be to put them in the front so maybe they were just trusting in um the overall strength of the, of the title or the other characters to bring, you know, the other characters to the front. Yeah, that that makes sense. You know, the that they were they were allowing the 
the new heroes to sort of shine mm-hmm. and put them front and center on the cover. But at the same time, these were all released on the exact same day. So, yeah. So, knows? yeah, if you're picking them all up at once, you know, the, and I don't think at the time they had any specific issue order to read them in. So, no. Could have. I know, I, I remember Michael Bailey saying that when he picked these up, he didn't read the Adam story until the very end. Right. So, you know, that kind of, you know, that, that, that could kind of mess you up because you've got all these things going on and then suddenly you've got this giant world-building story that you read at the end. I think, you know, knowing that there was a, uh, an order to read these in kind of helps out. Mm-hmm. Moving into the book, uh, this is one of the things I'm going to be sort of nitpicky about. We know that the... Uh, creation of the sea devils was because of the radiation that affected the sea life around Florida and Cuba. Right. And, I, and we could understand that the mutation happened over multiple generations because fish have extended uh, or have uh, quicker reproductive rates than humans. So the mutation caused these creatures to, to grow into more humanoid forms quicker than it would take a normal human mutation to, to uh, happen comics <clears throat> fish boobs yeah fish boobs yeah oh uh, <laughs> glad we got to remember that but the thing is with these orcas orcas have a, a significantly longer gestation period so their generations would be as long if not longer than humans plus in general killer whales don't tend to hang around like the Gulf of Mexico, the Atlantic Ocean. They're more Pacific Ocean based. I mean, Hmm. they've been found in the Atlantic Ocean, but that's not, you know, the the ocean is pretty much their home. They can go wherever they want. But, you know, the fact that we've got not only a generation of orcas that have sea devil traits, but, you know, the fact that most of them probably wouldn't be around where the major amount of radiation was. So that's just kind of a nitpick, but maybe they were in SeaWorld. Oh, that could have maybe this is, you know, some escapees some escapees from SeaWorld that, you know, made it into the ocean and uh, that's that that's a good no prize. I'll give it to you. Uh, I did like that we saw some sea devils here even though it was just to kill them off. I mean, of the, of the books we've covered, Sea Devils has been the one that seems most disconnected. So it was nice to tie him in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next note was on page three, and I know you mentioned it uh, in our last issue where we talked about Nightwing and the uh, uh, Firestorm Troopers. That, and this is probably even more because Tom Grummet is drawing it, but the symbols on their chest definitely look like the Superman S shield emblems here. Yes. I like the look of the Firestorm Troopers more here. So maybe it was just an art issue last time, even though I didn't really have a problem per se with it last time. But yeah, the 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 sort of beak that they have looks less like the character from Battle of Planets or Gotcha Man mm-hmm. or G Force or whatever you want to call it. It looks more just like a regular sort of visored helmet, uh, and it looks like the but possibility that that uh, visor might even be able to raise up as well. So it doesn't look as 90s stylized as right. uh, Jander Symmetry. Yeah, and the shoulder pads aren't as huge. And no, it 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 has it just has a look of the sort of maybe the kind of Team Luthor type look, you know, or one of the the SCU mm, sort of yeah. uh, kind of uh, looks. So it's not 
it's not it's not extreme 90s look i guess uh page four there's so much to like on this page mm-hmm. um first and foremost you know i like seeing the adam and the flash return and getting more about them beyond their their uh origin or introduction stories uh we saw both of them very briefly in the green lantern issue but here we actually get an adventure with them and, and more of their personalities adam is talking about helping out the the victims of the exchange the the, uh, the nuclear exchange with cuba which fits where we left him at the end of his issue um the flash we, we really don't get any uh more development with her per se but her mom's there pushing her to i don't know date the adam or something it's just nice to see more of her mm-hmm. yeah and it's 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 nice to see that these characters, when they're not out doing superheroics or saving a day, they're they're out trying to raise awareness and uh, do charitable things, which mm-hmm. I think is a, you know, I could see in the in the DC universe, in the regular DC universe, you know, uh, superheroes like Green Lantern or Superman, you know, maybe not in the New Fifty Two now, but you know, in in the DC universe this time, coming to charitable organizations and helping out and trying to promote these type. Of oh, things. definitely, definitely. But uh, I don't think we've been introduced to uh, Hawk and Canary, which I don't know whether they're supposed to be analogs of Hawk and Dove or Hawk Man and Hawk Girl. But you know, it, it, they're just kind of there as yeah. to show that there's a broader. Uh, there's a there's a broader number of uh, superheroes in the uh, tangent universe rather than what we've just seen. Yeah, I had a similar note. I liked seeing them. We we don't learn much about them other than they are father and daughter. But I I liked like you said that it hints at a larger universe other than the books we're focusing on. Mm-hmm. And I like the exchange at the bottom of the page between the the boy and his grandfather, where the boy is raving about how cool the atom is, and his grandfather says that they they all have been. And he shouldn't believe rumors to the contrary. You know, a, a lot of the books we've looked at have been dark or, or heavy and serious. So it's nice to have perspectives like this to remember that some people in this universe do look up to heroes. And it's, it's really evident throughout these opening pages. There's just, I mean, look at all the people lined up to get their autographs. And it's just good to see a more optimistic view of this universe even though I don't think either of us have, have really had a problem with the darker tone, but you know, getting getting another perspective is, is really nice. Yeah, I agree. It's it's nice to have heroes that are well, I guess more hero to have heroes that aren't distrusted by the majority of people. Right. I, I understand that as a as a story element, and I know that they're using that more commonly in not only in Marvel Universe, but now currently in the New 52 with people not trusting Superman. Yes. And I've never, I've never caught into that. I've always felt that Superman should be the person that you always look to be the one who's going to help out regardless of what's going on. And I like that in this universe, the Atom and the Flash are those, no pun intended, beacons of light. <laughs> and, well, maybe slight pun intended. But, you know, I, I think we need that. And yes. I, I love having that here. No, no arguments here. Uh, I've got one on page six. Uh, let's see. It, it seems to me here that Leah doesn't seem to be as ditzy as she was in the Flash issue, and I think that uh, the fact that Tom Grummet over Gary Frank is drawing her here uh, kind of helps in that. 
I think Gary Frank drew her way too much to be sort of like an Alicia Silverstone type character. Yeah. And she seems a bit more in control. Plus, you know, uh, uh, I would think Chuck Dixon would take a look at the sort of goofy way that she was portrayed in that and gone, no, she's got to be a bit more than just a bubble-headed teenager. Mm-hmm. While we're on this page, that first panel, I'm not sure what's going on with her mom's face, but she's looking really rough. <laughs> yeah, she looks Ugh. like the, uh, the, uh, the plastic surgery just hasn't been kind to her. <laughs> Uh, so then we get into pages seven to nine, which is the introduction of uh, man, the Manhunter character. And it, it's just a, a, a much different tone for this scene than the previous. We go from an optimistic look at the heroes to this extremely violent and murderous vigilante. Mm-hmm. Now, this is where I mentioned this prior to us coming on the show, where I think I'm going to blow your mind here. On page eight, where Manhunter swells not to kill Tubby McDrug Lord here, <laughs> she swears on the souls of her parents and siblings mm-hmm. that supposedly died during the Red Tornado strike. Here's where I'm going to blow your mind. I think that Manhunter is the little girl from the Metal Men issue that got exposed to the Red Tornado virus. And the reason I say that is because on page nine here, her little mechanical dog... She calls him Pooch, mm-hmm. the same name as she get, She was you know, crying out for her dog that got exposed to the Red Tornado stuff as well. So I'm thinking this is that little girl grown up sort of being a spirit of vengeance, and that's why she's masked and you can't see who she is because she's been affected by all this and why she's got the big you know, red you know, goggles as sort of maybe a – cybernetic form of eyes there so uh, that's my take on it I don't know whether that's the case but if it is I think that's an incredible way of tying that character back to it I had the exact same thought and I was going to ask you if you thought that too or if I was just being reading too much into it no I think that's what it is and I think that's a really I don't know whether this was something that uh, Dan Jurgens told Chuck Dixon to put into the story or whether Dixon just read the Adam uh, treatment and ran with it, but either way, I think that's just incredibly clever. Yeah, and if the uh, the back matter hints that this that her uh, outfit might be some sort of containment unit or containment suit, and then later in the book when she meets the Joker, she makes a couple comments too that allude to the fact that she was there when the metal men arrived. Mm-hmm. So that just adds more, you know, credence to that theory. Well, I, you know, I'm glad it didn't blow your mind, but yeah, I'm glad that we came to the sort of same conclusion on that. And it wasn't until I was just rereading this prior to the doing this episode that I was like, "Holy cow! What if that's that?" <laughs> yeah, and I, it just it just made the story that much more compelling. So again, credit to some of the great writers that we've gotten on these books. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of the design on her coat. Well, okay, let me take that back. I like the design. The yellow coloring, I don't really care for too much. I think as a vigilante, she'd want to wear something a little less bright, but that's a very minor point. I, I do like the character, and I like the design of the costume. Yeah, if maybe if the color schemes were reversed and the yellow was more of the black and the black was a bit more of the yellow, that would make it a bit more dark, but yeah. Uh, you know, I, I like the look of it, and, you know, of course... 
Tom Grummet can't draw someone looking bad, but yeah, the color scheme could be a bit yeah bit different. My next note's not over till page twelve. Okay, go ahead. I, I like this issue. I just it, it it wasn't one that generated a lot of comments from me. No, same here. And you know, the introduction of the Spectre is interesting. I like how they've turned him into a sort of a ghost type character or a person who's got intangibility or invisibility mm-hmm. powers. But yeah, nothing really. It's not, again, it's not that it's bad. It's just that it's not generating as much uh, discussion as say the Nightwing issue has. Right. But go ahead with uh, page 12. Uh, the, uh, what's his name? Plastic man comments that he is an agent of Nightwing and says he works for the good guys, which is an interesting perspective. Well, it's, I guess it's, you could take it as one of those things where even the villains feel that they're the hero of their own story. Yeah. That that Lex Luthor kind of feels that he's the hero of Metropolis. He's trying to save the world from Superman, This what in his mind is an invading alien. So perhaps Gans in his own way feels that Nightwing is, uh, you know, an organization – you know, working for good that's just working beyond the bounds of the federal government. And perhaps he's not uh, privy to what's some of the darker stuff that's mm-hmm. going on with like Dark Circle and the Creeper and all that. So that's kind of what I was thinking. He just yeah. doesn't know the, the full scope of their operation. Well, and that that could be the same thing with the uh, Firestorm Troopers, you know, that they just believe that they're an agent of the government. You know, this uh, they're an agent of, or they're working for Nightwing and Nightwing works for the government and they kind of get things done that the government can't get done officially. So. Right. Pages 14 and 15, we have this hilarious scene with the Joker. Just, it, every time we see the Joker, it serves to make me want to see more of her. Mm-hmm. We, had, we had the quick scene in Sea Devils, her solo book, and now this. She's just a, such a fun character. Oh, yes. And I love – first of all, I love – the Riddler is a character <laughs> that I think Chuck Dixon was born to write. He is he's a complete incompetent idiot. His dialogue is just him stuttering and mumbling over himself and – you know, I'll go, I'll go ahead and read it. He says, uh, I've got a bullet with all of your names on it. Uh, not like one bullet, uh, lots of bullets with each of your names on them. I mean, like one name on each bullet and not, <laughs> but just nobody move. And he's not only is he a bumbling idiot in his dialogue, but he is also the epitome of 90s excess. Yes. With these two chain guns strapped to his ar- to his forearms and this pack of, you know, ammunition coming off his back. It's it's just ridiculous and that Joker takes him out by tying his bootlaces <laughs> together. Oh, I so wish I could see a Joker ongoing yes. series. She's definitely the breakout character of this series of books. I agree. I, I've I've really loved everything with the Joker in it. You know, her issue was wonderful, and it doesn't hurt the what was it Matt Hanley Hanley's art Haley mm-hmm. Haley's Matt Haley's art was just beautiful, just beautiful on her. I think Tom Grummet makes her look pretty good too, though. Oh yeah. Uh, well, like I said, you can't do wrong with Tom Grummet. The only thing I think would have made this better is if they could have gotten Grummet and Hazelwood oh, together. Yeah, Doug Hazelwood. But, but uh, you know uh, who's doing it here? Uh, well, uh, Larry Stucker does yeah, a good job. I I think Mike's list Larry Stucker as the inker, but there's no inker credited in the book itself. Hmm. Well, maybe maybe Stucker did the cover. I don't know. 
Uh, but but regardless, the art in here is phenomenal. Yeah, and it's it's a great <laughs> on on page fifteen as he trips down the stairs, <laughs> and of course the Joker's little quips of "Have a nice trip, see you next fall." It's see just you in the fall. Yeah, she is just such a wonderful character. My only comment for nineteen was to laugh at the Joker boat. <laughs> Oh yes, and and that she has, she's got a little one of those silly little umbrella hats. I think that's just, again, her character is so much fun in these issues. Yeah. And uh, again, with the whole uh, Daredevil thing with her and the sort of fist baton, mm. it's just, it's just great. Uh, my next note's on page twenty-two. Do you have anything for that? Um, page, oh yeah, page twenty. I wanted to complain that Manhunter seemingly is parachuting out of nothing. But my desire to do so is trumped by the fact that Pooch has wings. So we have a killer vigilante with a robot dog that has wings. Because comics. <laughs> it's just awesome. Just just go with it. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a it's a superhero book. Oh, you've yeah. gotta you've gotta let it go every once in a while. You know, physics be damned. She well she comes in parachuting down, guns are blazing, the dog is flying with wings and it, it's a robot dog. It's just it's awesome. It's comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can't, I can't complain because it's just, it's just fun. It's yeah. Chuck Dixon, just fun. Yeah. And then she meets up with the Joker. The, the, the two characters in this book that couldn't be more different. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. This is this is odd because the Manhunter seems to be more of the Batman style of character, while the Joker seems to be more of you know, I don't know maybe the flash you know in character tone i'm trying mm-hmm. to think of an analog that they'd be from say the justice league you know just m- not really a green lantern but you know just a sort of jokey type maybe plastic man i don't know little plastic but we've, man yeah we we we've, we've got our plastic man in here um and speaking of that you know uh my next notes on page 22 which is a plastic man is a sort of living pollen polymer controlled by a guy in a coma mm-hmm. Uh, which is uh, a better story than I think uh, Baron Tyranno, which was the man in the iron lung from Greenlander uh, number 204. Yes. I, I, I appreciate, you know, the plastic man is, you know, a guy being controlled by someone who's incapable of, you know, getting around himself rather than Baron Tyranno, which was crap. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I covered that, or we covered that issue on. Uh Green Lantern's yeah, Light. So. Green Lantern's Light, that was the one that was actually the one I was on. And yeah. that's why I remember it so vividly. Fondly? <laughs> yes, fondly. That's that's not the word at all. <laughs> page page 22, we get a reference to the acronym of Sinestro. Mm-hmm. What is that? I, I looked and looked and couldn't find where that was referenced before or after. Is that Aquatus's group? or I don't know. It just seems kind of thrown out there. I, I kind of have to say it, it seemed thrown out there as well. I looked as well, and I couldn't see any organization that it was tied to. I've got to assume maybe it's uh, an arm of Meridian, or perhaps it's just the pseudonym of Aqua, Aquatus, Aquatus's uh, group. You know, so I don't know. It, it's a nice little nod, but I don't think it really you know, means anything in the overall scheme of the the book or the storyline or the narrative. So it's it's just comics. Comics, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I will say, I guess that's maybe one 
complaint I have about the book in that none of the villains really get much depth. They're just kind of there to serve, you know, whatever role they play, and that's about it. But at the same time, Dixon had to introduce three brand new heroes plus three from other books and, and get to the story and such. So, you know, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a tall order. As aside from Aquatus, most of the villains seem pretty incompetent. Uh, yeah. Warlord, especially, uh, you know, is kind of a bumbling fool, and Damage is just basically kind of a mix between the Thing and Clayface, Clayface maybe. Yeah. So which one was Warlord? I had trouble keeping him straight when I was. Warlord was the one who. I guess Warlord was the one in the sort of guardian type mask, the silver full oh, okay. mask, and then Sarge Steel. I guess was the guy with the uh, sergeant. Oh, okay. chest. I guess. Yeah, yeah. The that that tells you how memorable these villains are. Yeah, they're not really. They're basically cannon fodder. But oh yeah, over on page twenty-seven, um, he's talking to Aquatus, and, and Aquatus says, "Don't dare lie to me, Warlord." The guy with the kind of guardian, Doctor yeah. Fate looking mask. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, my next note isn't until twenty-nine. Okay. Uh, I've got yeah go ahead and with that and that's just to say that we have um, the Tangent Universe versions of Firestorm and Aquaman appearing in the same book which means that somewhere there's a very excited Irredeemable Shag and Rob Kelly (laughs) well I'm certain uh, Shag's probably excited but I'm certain Rob's not too happy because (laughs) Aquaman turns out to be the big bad in this so that's that maybe that's why uh, Rob is so down on the story we have a very excited irredeemable shag and a mildly annoyed Rob Kelly (laughs) which is pretty much par for the course if you've listened to the FR and one podcast (laughs) whenever they get together it's shags really excited and Rob's irritated with him (laughs) but yeah it's it's interesting to see the uh the sort of introduction of an, a character named Knockman and how they t- sort of tie it into it. Uh, my next note's not until th- page 32. Yeah, that's where I'm at too. Uh, we get a sort of backstory that's very Watchmen-esque, uh, a kind of a Dr. Manhattan's origin story for both Aquatus and Gans here as they're both uh, experimenting with uh, comic radiation and <laughs> One gets turned into living water and one gets turned into living plastic. So and it's interesting. It's a nice sort of uh, you know purple shaded flashback thing. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I called it a, a – um, I said a quite Marvel-ish origin in my notes. Mm-hmm. But Watchmen works too. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I saw. You know, the people dealing with the powers beyond what they understand and getting transformed into these weird things a la Dr. Manhattan. Yeah. Um, pages 33 to 36, not a lot to say here except that this is an, an example of just big, dumb, comic booky fun, and I love it. Mm-hmm. I love the action. I love the interplay between the characters. I love that the story is about a villain made of living seawater who wants to destroy the moon. I, I just I just love all of it. Yeah, I, I agree. The entire idea of them destroying the moon to affect the tides is going to give this uh, – water being you know his ultimate power is just it's a good catch it's a good catch for the story and i like it and yeah everyone gets their own little moments to shine uh the flash gets her moment to we don't get much about the eclipso twins but i do like that the uh the uh twins that are going to give this laser the power to destroy the moon are based off eclipso which is the character that had a base on the moon in the dc right so that's cool but yeah it's just 
it's all very fun and you know harkens back like i said to early avengers stories so i i like it and then to pages 37 and 38 you know i think this is where they actually decide hey let's let's be a team and mm-hmm. i think this would make for an interesting team dynamic especially as they get to know one another as there's a lot of disparate personalities in this mix and you know given their different backgrounds and and objectives i can see potential for a lot of conflict within the team because you've got you've got manhunter who's a vigilante with no qualms about killing you've got the adam and the joker who both have direct connections to uh, the destruction of Florida and Cuba. The Spectre is a thief with the heart of gold. Plastic Man is a guy working for a bad organization who thinks they're the good guys. The Flash has ties to Nightwing, even though she's not working for them. And it would it would just be a really really fun and interesting book. And you know this particular issue was was fun as well and very comic booky. And like I said earlier, I loved seeing what is basically the next chapter in the lives of like the flash and the atom and um oh the joker and and seeing them in their roles and and doing their own thing as heroes Mm -hmm. yeah like i said before this is this is really akin to you know the avengers origin issue you get all these desperate uh heroes who've been established in their own books coming together to unite as a team and i think it works when you take it uh kind of take it as that uh again you know with tom grumman on art and chuck dixon on the story it's it's a book that while not as deep as some of the other books that we read it's just as fun oh yeah definitely but uh do you have anything else you want to say about this Um, no i mean it's just again another fun issue and, and we keep using that word a lot with these books but you know they're, they're all fun and, and all fun in kind of their own way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's one of the things that – and I hate to keep harping on uh, modern-day books, but we just haven't been getting that kind of stuff. It's all been big action, uh, incredible uh, cosmic events causing you know terrifying things happening. And all, it's been enjoyable reads. These stories have been enjoyable reads, but it's kind of nice to have these sort of just – fun silly issues every yeah. once in a while and uh, I'm I'm glad we're getting to do this but um, I think that's going to end it for now I think next time we're going to be taking a look at basically the uh, final issue of this first run in the Tangent Comics series we're going to be looking at the issue Doom Patrol which takes us out of the setting a little bit and throws us into the future I think of 2035 Wow. Some, somewhere in the 2030s. So we're going to be looking at uh, future characters coming back to interact with the uh, 1990s Tangent Universe. So come back in two weeks and we'll be taking a look at uh, Doom Patrol. So until then, we'll see you all next time. See ya. Just finished listening to Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast, hosted by me, Michael Bradley, and me, Sean Ingle. The show can be downloaded from a variety of places, most notably Michael's website, GreatCrypton.com, where you can find show notes, cover images, and a section for leaving comments about the episodes. 
It can also be found on iTunes by searching for Parallel Lines. And if you happen to use iTunes, please take some time out to leave a review. Maybe even a five-star one. All reviews help more people to find out about the show. The show is also on Facebook, where you can like us and get updates when new shows are posted. Plus, images, plot elements, and general discussion about these books can be found there as well. Want to send feedback about the episode? Well, then you can email us at tangent at greatcrypton.com. All feedback is warmly welcomed, and we will definitely read your emails on the show. When Michael and I aren't doing shows about alternate DC Comics history, we're busy doing tons of other geeky stuff on the internet. For instance, Michael does a podcast about Superman and Batman team-ups, cleverly titled Superman and Batman. Plus, he hosts a blog about the Man of Steel's creators, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, called Siegel and Schuster Mythmakers, both of which you can find over at GreekCrypton.com. And Sean hosts a Green Lantern podcast focusing on Guy Gardner and Kyle Rayner, called Just One of the Guys. He's also a guest host on Walking Dead Wednesdays, a Walking Dead podcast, and Who True Freaks, a Doctor Who podcast. And all these shows can be found over at TwoTrueFreaks.com. Speaking of Two True Freaks, if you ever feel like making a purchase from Amazon.com, please use the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com. After clicking the link, any purchase you make at Amazon will shoot a percentage of money back to the Two True Freaks website. It won't cost you anything extra, but it really helps out a great bunch of podcasters. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next time for another episode of Parallel Lines, the DC Comics Tangent Universe podcast. Because in the Tangent Universe... You only know the names.